Psalm 65 on page 807. Praise awaits you, O God, in Zion. To you, our vows will be fulfilled. O you who hear prayer, to you all men will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. You answer us with awesome deeds of righteousness, O God, our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. Who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with waters, You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown near your and your hearts overflow with The grasslands of the hit of the desert overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. Heavenly Father, this morning we give you thanks um, for the beginning of a new week. We thank you for um, this day that you've set apart for us. Um, uh, One day in seven, Father, we are appointed as your people to gather together in your presence and to be um, renewed in your covenant with us, to be refreshed and strengthened by your special and particular presence and the means of grace that you offer um, on this day in this place with your people. We pray that your spirit would attend our worship this morning, and we ask that you'd be present with us now as well, um, as we um, discuss together um, various matters, that you would give us wisdom um, as we think about these things. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Um, So just a few kind of um, housekeeping things to start off. Today is going to be the last week of our series on human sexuality. Um, we're going to bring this to a close. Um, the report um, contains a lot more information that we are not going to cover, um, a lot of supporting um, sort of essays and documentation, and would in- commend it to you. I've sent out that link, um, but if you don't have it or you, you'd like to, to, if you just Google Human Sexuality Report PCA, it'll come up on the Internet. Um, so we'd certainly commend it to you. I hope that this has been a helpful kind of discussion that we've had um, at the end of last spring and into the fall now. Um, I I think it's been really relevant and practical, and um, I'm glad that we've talked about um, in such detail um, so many issues around uh, what it means to be made in God's image as human beings, what it means to be sexual persons, what it means to honor God um, with our bodies. Um, Next Sunday, um, November 20th, we'll have um, a guest speaker, um, ben and Anna Graber um, are missionaries um, with Mission to the World, our denominational sending agency. Um, ben got ordained just before I came into the Presbytery in 2014 and um, then left um, to go to Munich, Germany. And so they've been ministering in Germany for quite um, some time. Um, they're back on home assignment um, for at least some months. And you know, I connected at Presbytery, and he's going to come and give a report on the work that he's involved with there, um, which is church planning and theological education in Munich, Germany. So I really would encourage you to come next Sunday um, and, and be present 
um, to not only to hear about this specific ministry, but I think it's always helpful to talk about people that are, or talk to people that are living in other parts of the world, Christian um, persons, and, you know, just it's a very different world in other parts of the globe, and it's good for us to have a sort of global perspective on um, the church, and, and I'm excited for Ben to come and be with us next Sunday. The Sunday after that, November 27th, um, we'll begin a new series um, on the Westminster Confession of Faith, and I'm excited um, to start teaching through the confession with you. Um, we're not going to do the whole thing in one stretch. That would be um, a, a huge project, and so we're going to do about three months or so on the confession and see how far we get. Um, we're just going to move through um, chapter by chapter, paragraph by paragraph, and discuss uh, the Westminster Confession. Um, the confession is um, the core of the theological standards of our church, and um, it's a, I, we're going to talk more about this, but I think just a, one of the best um, articulations of Protestant Reformed Christianity that exists in the world. Um, it's a really, really valuable document. Um, it really crystallizes Reformed theology, Protestant, classical Protestant theology. And um, I look forward to just going through it with you and, and you know, talking about it, discussing it as we've um, been doing, not just a monologue, but a discussion, a give and take as we think about um, what the confession teaches. And I really want to emphasize not only sort of intellectual transmission, but what does this mean? You know, how do we apply these things in our lives? What do they how do they work out um, what we believe about Scripture, what we believe about God, what we believe about God's eternal decree, providence, etc. Um, um, so that's going to start. Um, so we'll do a couple weeks of that. We'll take a break on December 11th. Um, we've been supporting John and Ellen Berger um, for a number of years um, since they, since 2019, I believe, um, since they left and um, went to Bulgaria. John is a teaching elder in our presbytery and a friend of mine. Um, and they are back now on mission home assignment for a few months as they transition to a new work in Portugal, um, where they're part of a church planting or church plant there. Um, so I'm excited to see the Burgers again, and um, hopefully some of you remember them. They came before they left um, in Bulgaria and did a Sunday school for us. So they're going to come back. We've been supporting them financially and, and prayer um, for some years now. So it'll be great to reconnect with the Burgers on December 11th. So it just kind of gives you a little framework of some of the things we'll be up to um, shortly. Um, before we jump into the last session today um, on human sexuality, which has to do primarily with repentance, the last statement is one on repentance. We're going to think about what repentance is. Um, any questions, holdover questions from the last two weeks as we've talked about pornography, um, both the sin of pornography and then what it means to repent and embrace healing around pornography, personally, individually, but also um, as a church, as a culture. Any thoughts, any questions, comments? Okay. Well, let's get into the new stuff. So our handout today, um, this is the last of the 12 statements. Um, and it, I think you'll see how it sort of brings a lot of the things that have been articulated to a conclusion. Um, uh, the, the study committee writes, we affirm that the entire life of the believer is one of repentance. Where does that phrase come from? Where are they quoting from there? Anybody know? We affirm that the entire life of the believer is one of repentance. Who wrote those words in 1517? Luther, right? Um, Luther nailed them to the door. This is the first of the 95 theses um, by Martin Luther. Um, a little bit paraphrased, but in essence, the same, basically a verbatim quote. 
And it's interesting, it's always been interesting to me that that's, that was the first of the theses of Luther um, that kicked off um, the movement that became known as the Protestant Reformation. Um, it, it wasn't a statement about justification by faith alone. It wasn't a, a statement about, um, you know, sola scriptura, um, other things that you might associate and should associate with the Protestant Reformation. It was a statement about repentance. And um, particularly it was a statement that repentance is something that should characterize the entire life of the believer, right? That repentance is not a one and done thing. You don't simply repent at the beginning of your Christian journey, uh, but repentance is something that carries through um, throughout the life of a believer. Uh, Luther, of course, was reacting um, specifically to the corruption of the doctrine of repentance that had um, become, in, in his day, which had been corrupted by the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church regarding penance and the way in which you came back into right communion with God. Um, and and, and the, the downside of, you know, giving people penance is it gives them the impression that repentance is just this, like, checklist, right, that you just, um, you know, um, confess your sins and then you do this thing and now you're repentant. Um, and Luther wanted to argue, no, that's not how repentance works. Or, in some cases, you pay a certain amount of money and then you um, can be confident of your repentance. Um, and Luther really wanted to push back against that and say, no, every day of the Christian life is a day of repentance. Um, it is uh, a continual um, action um, by those who follow Jesus. The entire life of the believer is one of repentance. Um, and so before we go to the rest of the, doc, the statement here, I want to just reflect for a few minutes on what the confession teaches and its um, doctrine on repentance. Um, the, the Westminster Confession of Faith has an entire chapter on repentance. Um, and again, this is maybe not something we always associate with a, a core sort of Protestant reform doctrine, but it is. Um, it, the chapter on um, repentance is actually longer than the chapter on some other things like faith or um, justification that we might assume um, would be, you know, more at length. The, the, um, the, the writers of the, the standards really wanted to think about repentance, and part of the reason for that is that in their context, and the 1600s, there was a, a movement within Protestant theology um, that was antinomianism, which there was kind of a rejection of repentance that, that, that you know, we, we don't want to make people feel, you know, like they're too, there's too much responsibility that they have um, for um, following Jesus. Um, and, and so the Westminster Standards really wanted to push back against that. We'll talk about that in more length in the class on the standards in a few weeks. Um, so let's just walk through this statement real quick. Um, so they say first in the first paragraph, repentance unto life is an evangelical grace, the doctrine whereof is to be preached by every minister of the gospel as well as that of faith in Christ. Um, and so what you see is that the, um, um, the, the writers of the standards, the divines are saying, um, Daniel, are you looking for a handout? Yeah. Where are the handouts, guys? You ran out. You ran out, okay. All right, I, I underprinted. Sorry. That's fair. That's fine. That's good. <laughs> All right. So um, repentance unto life is an evangelical grace. I think that's an interesting um, way to put it. Evangelical there. They don't mean, right, what we mean by evangelicals today, right? Um, that's a, a, a new use of the term. Um, what they meant by evangelical is connected to the word gospel, right? Evangelion in the um, New Testament, the Greek. Um, simply means gospel. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a gospel grace, they're saying. Uh, repentance unto life is a gospel grace. 
Um, repentance is a fundamental part of the gospel. And this doctrine, repentance unto life, is to be preached by every minister of the gospel, as well as that of faith in Christ. So it's inadequate, they're saying, to preach a gospel that is simply uh, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, what we need to be saying is repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And indeed, they're, um, they're drawing this explicitly from the teaching of Jesus, right? Remember in Mark, um, um, Mark summarizes in his first chapter in verse 15, um, the teaching of Jesus um, that he said, the kingdom of God is now at hand. Uh, repent and believe in the gospel. Um, uh, repentance was what, according to Mark, particularly in that gospel, Jesus proclaimed um, to the nation of Israel. Um, so there's no dichotomy, there's no contradiction between repentance and faith. They're the, they're, they're, they go together, right? They, they fit together. Um, they're, um, they're parallel um, actions by human beings. Um, remember um, the, the preaching of Peter um, in Acts 2, um, when the Jews um, who are convicted of their sin um, say, what must we do to be saved? He says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, um, for the promises for you and for your children. Um, and, and I think that's, again, just a facet. We, we don't tend, I think, in our preaching today to emphasize this, I'm speaking broadly of the church today, um, we don't emphasize repentance. We, we are very comfortable telling people to believe in Jesus, right, to have faith, um, but, but we don't tend to lead, repentance is sort of like, oh, and by the way, asterisk, right, you're gonna need to repent of a lot of things um, if you're gonna follow Jesus. You know, we'll, we'll talk about that later, right? Um, and, and, and sometimes we won't talk about it at all, I think, is the danger. Um, but, but within the preaching of the New Testament, within um, classic Protestant theology, repentance is, uh, is an evangelical grace. It's a good thing for people to hear the news that they need to repent of their sins. And it should be um, preached by every minister of the gospel, along with faith in Jesus Christ. Any thoughts, questions, comments about that? Okay. Uh, so what is repentance unto life? By it, um, a sinner, out of the sight and sense, not only of the danger, but also the filthiness and odiousness of his sins, as contrary to the holy nature and righteous law of God, and upon the apprehension of his mercy in Christ, to such as are penitent, penitent's just a word that means repentant, that's probably the more modern way we would, we would say that, so grieves for and hates his sin as to turn from them all unto God, purposing and endeavoring to walk with him in all the ways of his commandments. Um, and this is why... Um, Usually our confession of sin on Sunday mornings um, includes not only an acknowledgement of our sin, but an explicit statement that we are now intending to walk and live a godly, righteous, and sober life, right? That we're, we're renewing our commitment to repentance. And it's important to think about that. What we do on Sunday mornings is not only, we're not only confessing our sins, but um, true confession biblically includes repentance, right? It's not just sufficient to say, hey God, I'm sorry, I, I, I sinned again. Um, what is a part of, of confession, biblically speaking, is a turning away from that sin and endeavoring unto new obedience in Christ. And so repentance and confession are linked to one another. Um, and, and the repentance involves um, understanding the filthiness and odiousness of our sins, the danger of our sins, the way that our sins will damn us um, um, if we do not repent of them, um, and that our sins are contrary to the holy nature and the righteous law of God, and also, we, repentance comes as we apprehend, as we understand 
as we comprehend the mercy of God in Christ to those who are penitent, to those who are repentant. Um, and so repentance involves grieving our sin, um, right? Being sorrowful for it, um, realizing at least on some level the, the damage that it causes to ourselves and to others and to the world, hating our sin, right? Despising it and turning from our sin unto God, purposing and endeavoring to walk with him in all the ways of his commandments. And now how many times are you going to repent? Every day, right? It's going to be a daily thing. It's daily repentance. Um, and this is this, the whole life of a Christian believer is one of repentance. Um, doing this, this process again and again, this should be characteristic of your life. If this is characteristic of your life, it doesn't mean that, oh, you're not getting it, right? No, you don't move beyond this. This is, this is what it is to follow Jesus, is to constantly walk before him in this way. Um, the third paragraph there says, although repentance is not to be rested in as any satisfaction of sin or any cause of the pardon thereof, which is the act of God's free grace in Christ, Christ, yet it is of such necessity to all sinners that none may expect pardon without it. Should you expect to be forgiven of your sins if you do not embrace repentance? I think that's an interesting theological question that many, I think, evangelical Christians um, today would say, well, yeah, I mean, God's going to forgive your sin. Um, you know, that's who God is. Uh, your repentance is secondary. And, but we don't believe that. We don't believe the scriptures teach that. We don't believe that in terms of the formal articulation of our theology. We believe that repentance is a necessary condition of forgiveness. Um, it is not optional um, to repent of your sins. Um, it's not something that, you know, is a sort of nice add-on. Um, it is a fundamental part of, of um, the way in which we walk before God so that our sins might be forgiven. Now, to be clear, as, the, as they write here, repentance is a necessary condition of forgiveness of our sins. It's not a sufficient condition, right? Um, it's not sufficient for us to just repent of our sins. Then, then God will be, have to forgive us because we've repented. No, that's not. Um, forgiveness is always, as he says, or as the confession says, it's an, always an act of God's free grace, right? God freely forgives us um, our sin because he wants to, because that's his character, because that's who he is. Um, so repentance is not a, um, a sufficient condition of the, the forgiveness of our sins, but it is a necessary component um, for us such that none may expect pardon without it. Yes, sir. Scott. Right, it's not the cause. Good. Yeah, exactly. No, that's a great point. Yeah, it's, repentance is not, it's not satisfaction for any sin or it's not any cause. You, you don't, we don't produce God's pardon. Um, we don't provoke it in some way by our repentance. Um, uh, that, that the, the pardon that God gives us, the forgiveness of our sins, is always an act of his free grace um, that he gives to those whom he loves and, and those whom he has set apart um, for salvation. Um, and yet, repentance, we also would say, is a necessary um, action on our part, um, such that, as they put it, no one may expect pardon without it. Yes, sir. That maybe a good way to distinguish between repentance and penance. Penance is seen as transaction. That's a great point, yeah, in terms of the Roman Catholic medieval theology. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or even, I, even yeah, today, potentially, yeah. Since you mentioned penance earlier. Right. Yeah, no, that's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. So James is saying essentially within 
and I am not an expert on Roman Catholic theology, but um, as I understand it, there is a kind of transactional quality to the idea of penance in terms of, you know, that if you do this penance, therefore God will forgive you. Um, and so it almost becomes transactional as though the penance is causing um, the, the forgiveness, the pardon. And that's, yes, we obviously don't, wanna, don't want to um, embrace that. Yeah. That's good. Any other thoughts about what I've said so far about repentance? All right, this fourth paragraph here is a really important one. I love it. Um, As there is no sin so small, but it deserves damnation, um, so there is no sin so great that it can bring damnation upon those who truly repent. Uh, We talked about this last week some, but it's it's worth just holding it out before us, this promise. Um, All of our sins, no matter how, quote-unquote, small, um, in the eyes of God, um, deserve damnation. Um, they deserve eternal punishment. Um, and yet, the promise of the gospel is that is also that there is no sin that is so great um, that it can bring damnation upon those who truly repent. Um, repentance is an evangelical grace. It's at the heart of the gospel. It's such good news to sinners that God calls them to repentance, to turn away from their sin, and that he forgives them um, because of his love for them in Christ. Um, and, and that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's good news. Um, there's nothing that you can do. There's no um, act that is so shameful or violent or heinous um, or whatever it might be um, that, that will bring damnation upon you if you truly repent of it. Um, and that, that is a sweet promise of the gospel, and it's one we should, we should proclaim uh, regularly. Um, and... Um, and, and that, has, that has a way of making us um, on the same level, right? Um, all of us are, are damned because of our sin, um, apart from God's grace and mercy. Um, but all of us um, can be saved, um, no matter what our sin is, um, through that same love and forgiveness. Men ought to content them, not, not to, rather, content themselves with a general repentance, but it is every man's duty to endeavor to repent of his particular sins particularly. Um, and this is, a, this is a, a fascinating thing, that repentance is actually a, appears something that you grow in over time. That as you understand your sin more and more, um, your repentance um, takes on a different kind of quality. It, it becomes greater, actually, in many ways, as you walk in the Christian life. Um, you know, I think it's fair to say that the beginning of the Christian life is much more kind of general repentance. Um, you're only beginning to understand um, the nature of your sin. Um, but as you, as you walk with the Lord, as you understand more and more His holiness, um, the person of Jesus, um, the ways in which you fall short of what God requires, um, your repentance becomes more specific. Um, you know, you're not just repenting for for obvious sins, maybe, um, but but for ones that are that are more hidden, um, things that are in the heart, um, and and this is a part of repentance. It's it's not only um, to repent in some kind of general way, um, but it's to repent of specific sins that we know that we have um, committed, that we're guilty of, uh, and and I think that's a really fascinating thing to think about. Any thoughts, questions, comments, feedback? Oh, yes, sir. It might be worth noting, because I thought about 
Yes, that's certainly true. Yeah, so Jeff's saying um, repentance and forgiveness does not necessarily remove the reality that there are often in our lives um, consequences, temporal consequences um, for our sins. Um, they're not eternal consequences for our sins, thanks be to God, um, but they are um, temporary. They are in this life we do experience yeah, um, fallout from our sin often. And sometimes that's God's mercy that he does that um, because we need to, to, you know, it's part of the chastisement we would say that the Lord uses in our lives sometimes um, to bring about our increased holiness is to, to suffer um, short-term uh, consequences of our sin in our lives um, that, we, that we might hate them the more and turn from them unto righteousness. Yeah, that's good. All right, the last, the last page here, uh, or the last page, the la on the back page, the last paragraph, paragraph six. As every man is bound to make private confession of his sins to God, praying for the pardon thereof, upon which in the forsaking of them he shall find mercy. Um, so they're saying that, that all of us are bound to make private confession of God to God of our sin. Um, it's, it's not an optional act for the Christian. Um, now, the distinction, of course, here is that we're not saying that you're bound to make private confession of your sins to a priest or to a pastor, um, that you can do that directly to God, and um, you're it doesn't mean you can't make confession of sins to another human being, um, but you're not bound to. What you're bound to do is to make private confession of your sin to God and pray for the pardon thereof. And we, you know, that's part of what we do on Sunday mornings, again, as we we confess our sins corporately together, but we also provide um, folks um, some time to privately confess their sins to God, um, that they might um, do what they're called to do, um, not only individually, but in the corporate assembly of God's people on the Lord's Day. Um, so, but they go on, so he that scandalizeth his brother, or the church of Christ, um, so sins against his brother, or sins against the church, ought to be willing by a private or public confession and sorrow for his sin to declare his repentance to those that are offended who are thereupon to be reconciled to him and in love to receive him. So what they're saying here is there is, um, when we sin against other people, we ought to be willing um, either you know one-on-one -on -one or in a more public setting um, to acknowledge our sin to those that we've harmed. Um, 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 and our repentance, um, <laughs> That we're actually not just sorry for that sin, but we're turning from it, right? We're, we've, we've confessed it to God and we're giving it up. Um, and this is something, hopefully, that is characteristic of your life. Um, um, that this is something that happens in your marriages or in your relationship to your children or in your relationship to friends um, or other church members, um, that you are making repentance um, to them. You're going to them and repenting of your sin. Um, which is interesting that they put it that way. I think we, we um, much more frequently use the language of apologize, right? I apologize. Um, but but um, when you repent of your sin, what you're doing is you're saying, I've not only hurt you or mistreated you, I've actually sinned against God. And you happen to be the, you know, the, the place where that happened. <laughs> um, and so it's a, it's a different framework in some ways. It's a subtle difference, but I think it's a good one and an important one um, to say um, when, you, when you go to someone and say, I'm repenting of my sin um, to you, before you, to God. Um, and and that's, that's an interesting thing to think about that. Um, um, 
So we ought to be willing, um, by a private or public confession and sorrow for his sin, to declare our repentance to those that are offended, that we have offended. And then I love the last part of this. And what do, what do the people need to do um, if they're going to follow Jesus when we repent of our sin to them? Um, they are thereupon to be reconciled to us and in love to receive us. Um, that's part of the promise of the gospel, too, is this idea that, um, that repentance brings about reconciliation and um, love and acceptance. And the grace of God is something we experience not only vertically uh, between us and him, but, um, but horizontally um, within the context of God's people. Um, we experience it as well. Any thoughts or questions about any of what I've said about repentance before we return to the statement? Daniel. That's fascinating. That's a great point. Yeah, I love that. That's a good point. Absolutely. Yeah, and it fits with the language of Psalm 51 as well, right? When after Nathan comes and makes it really explicit to David that he sinned, and he sinned against, obviously, Uriah and Bathsheba, um, David then says in Psalm 51 to God, against you, you only have I sinned, which is an interesting, you know, I don't think it means that he doesn't understand that his sin is against others. Um, but properly, theologically, we would say we don't, we don't sin against others in the same way that we sin against God, right? Because God is the lawgiver. God is the innocent, holy uh, one. And none of us meet that standard. Yeah, Jeremy, then James. Absolutely. Yeah, Jesus, uh, too many times for us to avoid it, connects um, the forgiveness that we receive from God to the forgiveness that we extend to others. Uh, and certainly the Lord's Prayer is a really prominent example of that, but there are others too. Um, where he makes that, it's really fascinating that he thinks that's such an important doctrine for us to wrestle with, um, the necessity of forgiveness of others. Yes, James. I don't know. Maybe I should think about this more before I say it. But um, <laughs> maybe we'll let you know. Maybe the um, understanding man as the image of God is a way of reconciling um, David's um, prayer against you and you only have I sinned with the fact that he has sinned against human beings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Um, and I think that really 
right. about sexual things. Right. Um, how it dehumanizes mm-hmm. um, people. Yeah, I like that. Understanding that that's based in reality. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense to me. Someone else? Cam, do you have a hand up? No. <laughs> Yeah, I do. Right. Yeah, what I would say, Daniel, is that that all of our sin ultimately is against God. Um, but it, it, it makes sense to acknowledge that our sin um, impacts other people. And and so I think we I think we can I think we can say I sin against I sinned against you to someone who we just spoke to cruelly or you know did treated unkindly whatever it might be um, I think it's I think it's fine for us to talk in those kinds of ways I don't have any objection to that I, but at, as long as at the core of it what we realize is that ultimately the one that we violated is the creator um, the one who is him holy himself um, who calls us to a, a way of life um, that that we fall short of um, so I, I don't I don't I think it's okay for us to be um, you know not as precise theologically or whatever that's what I would say does that make sense um, I, I, I think I would just when we step back I think we would acknowledge okay ultimately all my sins against God um, but my sin does impact other people and that's what they the confession is very clearly acknowledging here is that that you know the phrase they use we, when we scandalize our brother, um, which I, I think is a way that they're talking about when we we create um, you know a barrier between us and we do something that harms that relationship. Um, does that make sense? Um, then we go to them and and re- repent before them, basically, so they might be restored. Yeah. One more, and then let's talk about the statement here, Eric. Oh, I totally agree. This is up. That's exactly right, Eric. Yeah, this is if we're going to forgive our enemies and people who harm us, we have to figure out how to do that such that the forgiveness is not just some sort of thing that we summon up within ourselves. It has to be a participation in the forgiveness of God for them, right? Like our forgiveness almost has to go up through God down to them. Um, If we just try to do it, you know, horizontally without involving the mercy and grace of God, um, then it's it's impossible. Um, and I think that's a big part of why people struggle with for forgiveness is because they see it as some sort of like, 
internal posture of the heart that they have to like kind of, I don't know, create towards this person who's wronged them and potentially wronged them in some, or harmed them in some, you know, um, heinous way, some terrible way. Um, yes, we're st- yes, you're still, I, I, you know, as a minister of the gospel, I cannot back off of the reality that you are called to forgive as you've been forgiven, even the most heinous um, sins. Um, but the way in which you do that, you have to, as I think you're saying, Eric, you have to do that by participating in God's forgiveness for them. Um, it's not something you can just sort of stir up within yourself. And, it, and that changes forgiveness from being just some sort of sentimental posture of the heart that you have towards somebody to, you know, involving yourself in something that, that God has created and done, um, which I think is really, it's a different kind of thing. Um, and, the, you know, doesn't mean you trust that person in the same way. doesn't mean they're not, as Jeff was saying, temporal consequences for that person's sin in terms of your relationship and how you, um, you know, how, what it looks like going forward. Um, um, but forgiveness um, is something that you you offer to others through God. Okay, let me um, move through this last statement just so we can bring it to conclusion. Um, so we affirm that the entire life that we're back to the top of the page is one of repentance. We've talked about now repentance in some length. Um, where we have mistreated those who struggle with same-sex attraction or with any other sinful desires, we call ourselves to repentance. Um, where we have nurtured or made peace with sinful thoughts, desires, words, or deeds, we call ourselves to repentance. Where we have heaped upon others misplaced shame or have not dealt well with necessary God-given shame, we call ourselves to repentance. Um, so the, the writers um, um, are, of the study committee are trying to model repentance, I think, for their readers, for us. I will just say this. Um, I increasingly don't love that word struggle um, in the connection of sinful behavior. Um, and I would just, I don't know, just something to think about. Um, I don't think it's particularly helpful in many ways. I think it, it's a way of sidestepping what we're really saying. Um, and yeah, when we've mistreated those who sin with same-sex attraction, I think we should just say that. I, mean, I think that's what we mean. Um, or with other sinful desires, um, anyway. Um, but basically what they're doing there is they're saying um, that, that, you know, that there is within the context of the church been mistreatment of those um, who've sinned in this way, um, who've sinned with same-sex attraction or with other sinful desires. Um, and that mistreatment uh, might, might mean, um, as they mentioned here uh, in the last sentence in that paragraph, where we've heaped upon others misplaced shame um, and, and that certainly can be true, um, that, that folks have been made to feel ashamed of things that they're, they're not truly sinful. Um, and if that's the case, we should call ourselves to repentance. Um, there's also, I think, as they are often are doing, or trying to protect against the opposite error, um, where we've nurtured or made peace with sinful thoughts, desires, words, or deeds, we call ourselves to repentance. Um, so we, we, we want to not make peace with sin where it exists in our lives. This is true for anyone. Um, um, and, and where we um, have not dealt well with necessary God-given shame, we call ourselves to repentance, they say. And that's something, um, we don't have time to get into this in any length, but it's important to say that there is, I think contrary to what 
in some ways is being assumed or taught in our culture, even the broadly evangelical culture. There is such a thing as God-given necessary shame. Um, and there are things that we do that we should be ashamed of before God. Um, and it's not, it's not wrong for us to, in fact, I would say that in, in many cases, and we don't have time to do this, but we could talk about, um, I was doing this last night in preparation for this morning. Um, there are lots of places in the scriptures where explicitly it's, the scriptures tell us to feel shame and it critiques those who don't feel shame over their sin. It says, you know, you need to feel shame so that you can repent, so that you can um, confess your sin to God. Um, and certainly within our culture, um, our culture could use, we're, I think we're not in danger of not feeling ashamed enough of our sin, right? Like the, the danger is that we, uh, sin is just seen as something that is not shameful um, in many, many situations. And that impacts us too as believers. Um, and that, anyway, so I think a healthy, necessary, God-given sense of shame is a good thing um, that we shouldn't be afraid of talking about or experiencing ourselves. Um, yes? Like a cycle of shame? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what I would say in that situation is that what you need, um, you need to be freed from that shame. And instead of choosing, you know, a person who's feeling shame in that scenario is doing something with it, right? They're making peace with it in some way. Um, but if they're caught in the cycle, um, they're not embracing repentance, I think it's probably fair to say, right? They're not really confessing it in a way that, um, is bringing about repentance and change. And so I think that that, in some ways, the cycle is a, a healthy thing in that it is require, it's gonna require them eventually to look outside of themselves, you know, for help um, to the Lord ultimately, um, and to embrace true repentance. Um, so, so yes, part of breaking the cycle of that sin is breaking the cycle of shame. But I would say that the way you do that is not to tell someone, well, you shouldn't feel ashamed of your secret habitual sin, what you need to do is, you know, do you go to the place where that shame can be destroyed and dealt with. And this is something the scriptures also promise again and again, that none who put their trust in the Lord will ever be put to shame, right? Which is a sweet promise, um, especially when we think about who we really are and the things that we've done, right? Um, I think about the things that I've done in my life, um, things that I am in some sense still ashamed of, but the idea that there is this promise that the Lord gives us that none who put their trust in him will ever be put to shame. That the Lord will not, because I've confessed those sins and repented of them, the Lord will not put me to shame um, is, a, is a sweet promise. But that's, that's what I would say. That's, that's what we deal with shame. Nevertheless, um, the writers say, as we call ourselves to the evangelical grace of repentance, we, base, we see many reasons for rejoicing. And they want to end with this, with rejoicing um, in the, the good things that they see in our denomination and our churches. We give thanks for penitent believers, so repentant believers, who though they continue to struggle with same-sex attraction, 
um, or sin with same-sex attraction, are living lives of chastity and obedience. These brothers and sisters can serve as courageous examples of faith and faithfulness as they pursue Christ with a long obedience and gospel dependence. And I think this is absolutely true. Um, um, to be someone who sins um, in regard to same-sex attraction and desire um, does not disqualify that person from serving as a model of Christian obedience and discipleship. Um, that, that is just, that, that must be true. <laughs> that, that this is something that can be repented of and can be, um, be an example of faith and faithfulness. Um, we also give thanks for ministries and churches within our denomination that minister to sexual strugglers of all kinds or sexual sinners of all kinds with biblical truth and grace. And there are many uh, faithful ministries and churches that, that engage in this ministry, kind of ministry. Um, hopefully all of our churches um, are engaging in ministry to sexual sinners with biblical truth and grace. Um, most importantly, we give thanks for the gospel that can save and transform the worst of sinners. Older brothers and younger brothers, of course they're, they're alluding to Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son, tax collectors and Pharisees, um, themes in Jesus's teaching and writing, um, insiders and outsiders. We rejoice in 10,000 spiritual blessings that are ours. When we turn from sin by the power of the spirit, trust in the promises of God, and rest upon Christ alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life. And there they quote from the chapter on saving faith in the confession, um, or allude to that. So this is how the statements end, and I think it's a great way to end um, this idea that we should be giving thanks for um, the faithfulness and obedience that exists um, in response to sexual sin. And I think that um, I echo that, I mean, I'm grateful um, I see in our congregation um, people who are living repentant lives, who are, who are certainly sexual sinners, um, just as we all are, um, but are repenting, are, are walking in obedience, are giving up um, sins of the flesh, and that's a beautiful thing. And we, we need to have a vision for that, right? That, that to, to, to give up sexual sin um, is not just a putting off something, um, that is bad. It's it's embracing something that's beautiful. It's good. It's 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 lovely to see a person um, who is walking in holiness before God with their sexual lives. Um, it's a it is a courageous thing to do, um, and it's something that um, that we should rejoice in um, and celebrate. So, any final thoughts in the two minutes we have left? Comments. All right, friends, well, I'm always available to talk more about any of these things, any of these matters, um, and would love to chat with you if you have questions. Um, set up a time to come see me. Um, I meet with a lot of people in my office during the week, so I'd love that. Let me, um, let me let's stand and let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for your gospel, um, the good news of salvation proclaimed and enacted um, by your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We're thankful that the same um, spirit um, that raised him from the dead um, now dwells in us today, um, Lord, and that we have been made partakers um, of this new way of life, a life of holiness and obedience in and with and through um, our, your Son and our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray 
um, that indeed our congregation would be a place um, where sexual sin is not hidden, is not um, covered up, um, but is dealt with um, in appropriate ways, Father, where repentance is embraced, um, where we put off um, the sin that clings so closely, um, where we live lives of holiness and obedience and experience the, the blessing and fruit um, that comes um, from being those whose sins are forgiven and whose sins are being put off. And we pray that you would make it so. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.